God is glorious in His saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Dr. Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate St. Evelyn Underhill, a mystic and a spiritual writer. Evelyn Underhill was born in Wolverhampton, England, in the 6th of December 1875, the daughter of a barrister. Her upbringing was very privileged, and she had the opportunity to pursue an education, culminating in attending the recently opened King's College for Women, where she studied history and botany. She also had many opportunities to travel, which gave her very wide interests. She was raised in the Church of England, but was not particularly religious as a young woman. Even as a teenager, she demonstrated a keen intellect and a love of writing. Here is a passage from a journal article titled The Legacy of Evelyn Underhill by Grace M. Jansen, published in the Journal of Feminist Theology. This passage details Evelyn's early life and beliefs. When Evelyn Underhill was 16, she took some time to jot down her ideals. She started with her ideal of a man. He should be true, strong, intellectual, and considerate, not an adherent of any extreme party, but always ready to help the poor and oppressed. Later came her idea of a woman. She should be clever, vivacious, accurately, but not priggishly informed, gentle, truthful, tactful, and tolerant, and should have a due sense of proportion. Politically, she described herself as a socialist because it gives every class an equal status. Her religious views are undogmatic. For a few years beginning about this time, she would describe herself as an atheist, but here says, I believe in a god and think it is better to love and help the poor people around me than go on saying that I love an abstract spirit whom I have never seen. If I can do both, all the better, but it is best to begin with the nearest. She hopes when she grows up to be an author, because that is a way of influencing people. But she adds, if I had been a rich man, I would have been a doctor and lived among the poor and attended them for nothing. I think that would be one of the noblest causes open to any man.
Evelyn regarded herself as agnostic or atheist in the early part of her life, but found herself drawn to Roman Catholicism. Her interest in the Roman Catholic Church heightened after she had a profound spiritual experience in a retreat at a Franciscan convent. She struggled with the decision whether to convert. This indecision was manifest in this letter she wrote to a Catholic priest, Father Robert Hugh Benson. I have got halfway from agnosticism to Catholicism and seem unable to get any further. I feel that you know all that there is to be known about this borderland and the helpless sensations of those who are caught in it. I want to get out, but without sacrificing intellectual honesty. And each struggle only sends me back again with renewed sensations of unreality. Ultimately, her desire to join the Roman Catholic Church was quashed by her husband, Hubert Stuart Moore. Hubert was not a very religious man and was concerned that Evelyn embracing Roman Catholicism would cause a rift between them. Initially, Evelyn was devastated. However, some time later, Pope Pius X issued Lamentabili Sane, an encyclical condemning critical scholarship, and later Pascendi Dominici Gregis was released, further affirming the Roman Catholic Church's desire to quash certain modernist influences, and particularly placing restrictions on writers and scholars. These restrictions would have caused problems with her writing career and so she abandoned her desire to convert to Catholicism. Later in life, she would return to the Anglican Church. Nevertheless, she chose to put herself under the spiritual direction of Baron Friedrich von Hugel, a Roman Catholic theologian and author who was an important influence in her life. St. Evelyn's focus in her writings was mysticism. She defined mysticism as follows. Mysticism is the art of union with reality. The mystic is a person who has attained that union in greater or less degree, or who aims at and believes in such attainment. Evelyn's most important work was titled Mysticism, a study of the nature and development of man's spiritual consciousness. Here is a beautiful passage in that book, where she goes into the meaning of mysticism in more detail. In mysticism, that love of truth which we saw as the beginning of all philosophy, leaves the merely intellectual sphere, and takes on the assured aspect of a personal passion. Where the philosopher guesses and argues, the mystic lives and looks and speaks consequently the disconcerting language of first-hand experience, not the neat dialectic of the schools. Hence, 
Whilst the absolute of the metaphysicians remains a diagram, impersonal and unattainable, the absolute of the mystics is lovable, attainable, alive. This book was thoroughly researched, containing more than a thousand sources, containing various thoughts about mysticism, and stressing the value in mystical, spiritual practices. She often drew on the writings by mystic Christian saints, such as Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint Francis of Assisi. Here is a typical passage from that book where she calls upon the example of the great saints of the past. Many a mystic, however, has found the perfection of detachment to be consistent with a far less drastic renunciation of external things than that which Teresa of Avila and Antoinette Borinian felt to be essential to their peace. The test, as we have seen, does not lie in the nature of the things which are retained, but in the reaction which they stimulate in the self. Absolute poverty is thine, says Towler, when thou canst not remember whether anybody has ever owed thee or been indebted to thee for anything, just as all things will be forgotten by thee in the last journey of death. Poverty, in this sense, may be consistent with the habitual and automatic use of luxuries which the abstracted self never even perceives. Thus we are told that Saint Bernard was reproached by his enemies with the inconsistency of preaching evangelical poverty whilst making his journeys from place to place on a magnificently caparisoned mule which had been lent to him by the Cluniac monks. He expressed great contrition, but said that he had never noticed what it was that he rode upon. Sometimes the very activity which oneself has rejected as an impediment becomes for another the channel of spiritual perception. I have mentioned the curé d'Ars, who among other inhibitions refused to allow himself to smell a rose. Yet St. Francis preached to the flowers and ordered a plot to be set aside for their cultivation when the convent garden was made, in order that all who saw them might remember the eternal sweetness. So too we are told of his spiritual daughter, St. Dusseline, that out of doors one day with her sisters she heard a bird's note. What a lovely song, she said and the song drew her straight away to God. Did they bring her a flower? Its beauty had a like effect. To look on trees, water, and flowers, says Saint Teresa, of her own beginnings of contemplation, help her to recollect the presence of God. Here we are reminded of Plato. The true order of going is to use the beauties of earth as steps along which one mounts upwards for the sake of that other beauty. This too is the true order of holy poverty. The selfless use, not the selfish abuse, 
of lovely and natural things. Another important work she wrote around the same themes is Practical Mysticism, which, as the title suggests, focuses more on how a typical person can engage in mysticism. Here is a wonderful passage from that book. Eternity is with us, inviting our contemplation perpetually, but we are too frightened lazy and suspicious to respond, too arrogant to still our thought, and let divine sensation have its way. It needs industry and goodwill if we would make that transition, for the process involves a veritable spring cleaning of the soul, a turning out and rearrangement of our mental furniture, a wide opening of closed windows, that the notes of the wild birds beyond our gardens may come to us fully charged with wonder and freshness, and drown with their music the noise of the gramophone within. Those who do this discover that they have lived in a stuffy world, whilst their inheritance was a world of morning glory, where every titmouse is a celestial messenger, and every thrusting bud is charged with the full significance of life. St. Evelyn was very prolific, and we don't have time to discuss all her writings. Mysticism was the central preoccupation of most of her works. While in the beginning of her career, she sampled from psychologists and Eastern mystics as well as Christian sources. As she got older, her inspirations became more exclusively Christian. I will quote here from a master's thesis by Dr. Martha Elias Downey, entitled Listening to the Life of Evelyn Underhill, which does a good job giving a summary of her most important works. For the most part, Underhill's writings on spirituality can be bookended by her two major works, Mysticism in 1911 and Worship in 1936. In Mysticism, we see a young writer producing an impressive volume on the subject, citing roughly a thousand sources to make her case for the relevance and importance of the mystics. Nothing like it had ever been produced, and it served as an effective apologetic on the subject. In The Mystic Way, published in 1913, she sought to expand on her ideas by appropriating Jesus and other prominent figures from the New Testament and early church history to help illuminate the mystical experience and show how it was the crowning achievement of humanity. She later grew to dislike this book, according to Williams, and saw it as an inaccurate guide to mysticism. This particular venture was to be met with rather harsh reactions from several quarters, two examples being Arthur Macken, who subsequently questioned her Christianity, and J.A. Herbert, 
who implied that Underhill was bordering on blasphemy. However, Underhill's practical mysticism, published in 1914, which was subtitled A Little Book for Normal People, engendered none of the criticism of the mystic way and proved to be a popular condensation and simplification of the ideas originally presented in mysticism. Green notes that this small volume gives us a glimpse of the underhill that is later to emerge as a writer for ordinary people. Mysticism continued to be her subject of choice in the coming years, with numerous articles and reviews published, as well as an anthology of essays on the topic entitled The Essentials of Mysticism. It is in the early 1920s that we notice a shift away from the topic that occupied so much of her early writing career and observe a new focus on what Carol Poston calls a simple spiritual path with definite emphasis on the Christian faith. In a series of lectures that Underhill gave at Manchester College in Oxford University in 1921, she spoke on the subject of the spiritual life using more accessible language instead of the metaphysical, often technical, vocabulary seen earlier. In the introduction to the printed version of these lectures, she stated that no attention has been given to those abnormal experiences and states of consciousness, which too often, regarded as specially mystical, are now recognized by all competent students as representing the unfortunate accidents rather than the abiding substance of spirituality. This emphasis on demystifying spirituality by embracing the ordinary, sustainable life of the spirit was a marked shift from the earlier mysticism, where the mystic was treated as a special type of temperament, a genius as it were. Though the lives of the mystics continued to be scattered throughout her writings, from this time on, they were in the background. After The Mystics of the Church came out in 1925, Underhill's publications began to be based on the various lectures and retreats she was invited to give, for the most part devotional, practical, pastoral, homely, and intimate in nature. These publications should not be seen as separate from her earlier mystical work. Instead, for Underhill, they were the natural and progressive outcome of embracing and integrating her own mystic way, spiritual direction. While the five stages she outlined in mysticism, awakening, purgation, illumination, surrender, union, were now reworked and simplified as three key ingredients, adoration, adherence, and cooperation in the spiritual life, published in 1937, the purpose of these various practices and disciplines remained communion with the ultimate reality, God. With the publication of Worship in 1936, Underhill once again exhibited her remarkable ability to assemble a daunting amount of information in the scholarly treatment of a subject. It was remarkably similar to mysticism in style and format, and while it likewise explored the nature of the relationship between humanity and the divine, this volume concentrated on the context of community instead of the uniqueness of the individual. It was a fitting conclusion to mysticism 
in many ways. The references to reality in the first book had become the more definitive reality of God in worship. What began as man's quest for truth had evolved into the response of the creature to the creator. The first book reflected a young Underhill energetically tackling a subject in search of answers to inform her own spiritual quest. In the latter, we see a more mature Underhill, sure of her vocation, calling others to embrace the life of the spirit. For worship is not merely an expression of the technically religious life, it is the religious life. And so, conterminous with life itself, creation's response to its origin and Lord. St. Evelyn suffered greatly during the Second World War. She survived the London Blitz of 1940, where German warplanes were bombing the city. But her health quickly deteriorated soon after. She is buried with her husband at St. John at Hampstead in London. The Anglican Church commemorates her in their Calendar of Saints as a theologian and mystic with her feast day on June the 15th. This is the collect prayer for her feast day. O God, origin, sustainer, and end of all creatures, grant that your church, taught by your servant Evelyn Underhill, may continually offer to you all glory and thanksgiving, and attain with your saints to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have promised us by our Saviour Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. St. Evelyn Underhill also wrote a great deal of poetry, a lot of which tied in with her ideas of Christian mysticism. Here is one of my favorite poems of hers, Corpus Christi, a reflection on the sacrament of the Eucharist. Come, dear heart, the fields are white to harvest. Come and see, as in a glass the timeless mystery of love, whereby we feed on God our bread indeed. Torn by the sickles, see him share the smart of travailing creation, maimed, despised, yet by his lovers the more dearly prized, because for us he lays his beauty down, last toll paid by perfection for our loss, trace on these fields his everlasting cross and o'er the stricken sheaves 
the immortal victim's crown. From far horizons came a voice that said, Lo, from the hand of death, take thou thy daily bread. Then I awakening saw, a splendor burning in the heart of things, the flame of living love which lights the law, of mystic death that works the mystic birth. I knew the patient passion of the earth, maternal, everlasting, whence there springs the bread of angels and the life of man. Now in each blade I, blind, no longer see the glory of God's growth, know it to be an earnest of the immemorial plan. Yea, I have understood how all things are one great oblation made. He on our altars, we on the world's rood, even as this corn, earth-born, we are snatched from the sod, reaped, ground to gris, crushed and tormented in the mills of God, and offered at life's hands a living Eucharist. Thank you.